In this week's episode of Full Stack Radio, I talked to Ian Landsman about shady marketing tactics and how you can be more authentic when you're trying to connect with your customers. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 55. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Full Stack Radio. Before we get into the interview with Ian today, I just wanted to share a quick update. So I finally opened up Test Driven Laravel, the course that I've been working on for the last few months for early access. So I messaged everyone on the mailing list who signed up for updates uh, with all the info about it. But if you didn't happen to be on the mailing list, you can head over to course.testdrivenlaravel.com slash early dash access to read all about all the content that's currently available and all the content that's coming as well as get a 40% discount for signing up early. It's basically the course that I wish that I had when I was learning how to get started with TDD. So if you're interested in learning how to build a real world application from start to finish using a test first approach, definitely check it out. I'm really proud of how the content has turned out so far and all the feedback so far has been awesome. So again, you can head over to course.testdrivenlaravel.com slash early dash access, or check out the link in the show notes for more information. Now on to the interview with Ian Landsman. Hey everyone, welcome to Full Stack Radio episode 55. I'm your host, Adam Wathen, and today I'm welcoming back to the show Ian Landsman, founder of Userscape. How's it going, Ian? Hello, good to be back. <laughs> yeah, man. So what's new in your world? <sighs> busy, always busy. So someday, someday I'll get to relax. I'm working on it. It's been been over a decade, but I'm I'm hoping someday I can relax. <laughs> cool. So the reason I wanted to have you on the show is because you put out a blog post, I guess a couple blog posts recently, where you were talking about some sort of shady marketing tactics that you see people using to try and you know validate their product ideas and stuff like that. And you got caught by one recently where you tried to buy something and it wasn't exactly what you thought it was going to be based on kind of what was advertised on the landing page. So I was wondering if you could just kind of share that story to get us started. Yeah, sure. So I wrote this blog post um, called Shady Tactics in Our Midst. And it it's kind of one of those blog posts that, um, uh, you know, it's been building up in my mind for a long time. Like the rage has been slowly brewing and it's like you just hit these different things. And so, yeah, so obviously I'm, uh, you know, we make software and for companies. And so I'm always signing up for new software or, or buying things. And so I end up on a lot of lists and all that kind of stuff and just been seeing so much lately where like so a few years ago you had like all the growth hacker stuff and and all that stuff some of the like maybe the very worst of it has gone away but on the flip side i feel like a lot of those tactics um have just become codified as like the acceptable way that everybody is supposed to act with their business and so that just kind of really bothers me so the there's you know, I wrote about kind of four different things, but there is a couple that are really the core of it that really set me off. Um, one was, and, and definitely kind of applicable to your business right now, was uh, in regard to a, kind of a, a, a content offering. So it was a course. And um, and yeah, so, you know, it's, a, it's a, a landing page and it's got, it had like 80 videos on it. And they all look like you could click them and play them. And it's really well done copy. And it's like, okay, great. It was solving a problem I had and I was like ready to buy and it was like 500 bucks. So it's a pretty significant outlay. And I buy, I put my credit card in, the whole thing. And then 
uh, you just get this page that's like, yeah, it's not done yet. Um, and uh, there's literally one video. And so I thought I was getting these 80 videos to help me with a problem right now. And instead I got one video and a promise that, you know, there's going to be a video like every week and I'm working on it. But, uh, but to me to, to present it as a fully complete product, um, and then, then kind of have that bait and switch there is just like, I don't know that to me, it's just not the way you do it. Yeah. That, that kind of reminds me of, I think something that I read, I think in the lean startup originally where they're talking about kind of how someone saying that they're going to pay for something or saying, yeah, I'd buy that is not the same at all as someone actually giving you their credit card to buy something. Right. right. So what people are doing, I guess, is they're trying to create these landing pages where they promise that this product is done and they take you through their whole checkout process and you finally end up going to buy something. And only then do they say, Hey, it's not quite ready yet, but like, thanks for your interest. And they're doing it sort of for like a solely personal gain benefit to kind of validate their product idea in the right. most realistic way possible. But you know, at what point is that sort of like, customer hostile right i think it's pretty for me that threshold is very low i could ver take very little of that because i think there's other, I, I, so the best case scenario of that well kind of the worst the best worst case scenario is if you want to do the exact same thing that happened to me right and happens to many people now all the time you to me then you, know, you take the credit card and don't charge it and send them to a screen and say hey you know what actually we're just working on this still and blah blah, blah. okay so if you want to get all the way through the credit card process don't actually charge me $500 and then make me request a refund and then make me wait almost a week for the refund like that's not the right way to do it you know and when it comes to software i kind of even feel like that whole thing of like building a fake site i don't really even agree with that philosophy in general cuz i think there's a lot of problems with that, I think, in terms of if it really is telling you what what you think it is. But but yeah, in terms of this, it's like it's like so the example I use in my blog post is, you know, if you went into Walmart and you got a box of cereal uh, for two bucks and you got home and there was nothing in there but like a little card that said, "Hey, we're just trying out this new box and uh, glad you liked it," <laughs> um, but you know, there's no cereal in here. Like you'd be super pissed and you would tell everybody, you know, about how Walmart ripped you off and Kellogg's ripped you off. And it would be a whole thing that you would make a big fuss about for a long time. And you'd tell the story later and it'd be a whole thing. And it's for a $2 box of cereal. And, but we just accept this on the internet as like, Oh, 500 bucks, whatever. Like here's your empty box for $500 and I'm just validating my product idea. So don't, don't, you shouldn't be upset by that. And it's like, no, I'm fucking pissed. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't like it. Yeah, totally. So, so, I mean, so I guess what sort of ideas do you think are better ideas when it comes to figuring out ways to sort of validate your product ideas and verify, you know, that people are going to buy in advance? Uh, because I guess the reason for this whole thing comes down to trying to minimize the amount of risk on the person creating the product, right? You don't want to create something and then release it and then find out that nobody wants it. So this is taking it to sort of the furthest extreme to make sure that before you even build the damn thing, people are already trying to pay you for it. Um, so where do you think the line is there? Like what approaches do you think you can take that can help minimize the risk on the person creating the product that are also a little bit more fair to the customer? Yeah. I mean, to me, it starts like so far before that, like, I feel like it's, uh, there's the whole research component of it. And I think especially programmers, like they love to skip that part, right? Like they want to just jump to like, when do I start the coding? I start the coding right now. Okay, great. Like I'm coding, I'm coding a fake thing. I'm coding a real thing, whatever, but they're right. They want to be in the coding. 
But I feel like you, the research is the most important part. That's where you find out if what you're selling is a real problem. Like, do you hear people with this problem? Can you search in online communities or in real life or talk to potential customers and and get and see if it's something that actually is a problem? Um, I mean, you could ask people. So I, I understand people's problem with just asking people because people will say, yeah, sure, and then they won't actually have that problem. But uh, but there's definitely other ways to find out just on the internet, if people at, on Stack Overflow, people asking about a certain thing. Um, you know, there's a million forums for every community out there. So there's a lot of ways you can do research on that. Um, there's a lot of ways just to see, to triangulate. Like, so with your new product, right, you know there's a huge interest in Laravel that's growing. You know that there's been a lot of talk about TDD and that what's going on with all that stuff. So that's a pretty good basis for the idea that there's going to be a pretty good intersection between those two. And of course you don't know until you make it, but at the same time uh, you're doing it with in a way that seems fairly uh, reliable and, and, and you taught you, you know, on stage at Laracon, I think you talked about it there originally, right? Um, I'm sure people came up to you after and, and you talked through with them and everything. So I think there's a lot of ways to do that. Um, and I think it starts early to research and to really make yourself understand the problem and think about it thoroughly before you even get to that next step. Um, and then there are ways to do it. I think there's ways to do that validation without being sleazy. Like I know a guy who's doing a product, a SaaS app, and uh, he put up like uh, – kind of a landing page but it was not it wasn't like buy now or anything it's like this is a thing we're thinking about he emailed a bunch of people he knows he said would you be interested he then talked to a bunch of people about it he then took money from them after speaking with them and got them to commit i think it was something like a couple thousand dollars like basically a year of the service he took their money but with the complete understanding that this doesn't exist yet he's going to build it they're going to be the first ones in and kind of help beta prototyping and uh, you know be early into the real product as it develops and so he got his first 10 or 15 customers with no actual product but being totally clear that there was no actual product and he's going to build it and they're going to be the first ones in and you know lifetime discount and the whole thing but uh, so you can still have that sort of like hey people gave me money they really want this. I'm pretty clear on the solution because I've talked to 10 or 15 of them and they um, said that this was a problem for them. And now I'm going to go ahead and, and build it. So I, I still think there's a way to do basically the exact same thing without that just, well, I'm just throwing it out there on the internet. It's a, all this effort. And at the end, you, probably somebody was pissed off at you uh, to validate your idea. I don't know. I think, I think there's just other ways to do it. And you know, there is just the idea of like, do you want to run your business that way? Which for me, I don't. And obviously there are lots and lots of people who do. But for me, like I have to live with myself and I have to feel like uh, what I'm putting out there is good stuff. And, um, you know, that's just a, sort of a personal morality type of thing. But but there's also that aspect. Yeah, totally. I, I guess what it comes down to is like you can you can do the exact same thing as long as you're not like trying to deceive people right, and you're right. actually like being honest and genuine with people and trying to build like actual trust with people. I think that sounds like a really good approach actually, because you know, it's a scary thing to try and build like a whole software application and try and launch it to people and have like no idea if you're actually solving problems for people yet. Like it's one thing I guess with sort of what I've been doing with this course that I've been working on because you know, I can release videos as I finish them. I can preview things, but with like an actual piece of software, there's like some 
actual threshold where it has to do X before it's even like any use to anybody at all. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like with, if with helps, like the example I was talking to the person who actually did this, but I was like, you know, if I delivered people help spot and even if I call it beta, and like you install help spot and it's empty, like you just get a blank white screen, like that's not beta. That's just non-existent. So, you know, I think there's just, um, yeah, there, there's just a lot. And even with software, I think the other problem I see is like how many software companies out there do you, like I can't name any, and I'm sure there's a couple, but there, there's not that many software companies out there where they started with this scenario of something that was totally fake and non-functional and then it became you know, Dropbox or whatever. Now, it might have been a super minimal, like it might have been lean in the sense, right, a, a lean, hey, we put out this thing. It does almost nothing, but it does the core of the idea of what you wanted to do. And then they iterated quickly on that and so on. To me, that's totally different. Like, you know, and nowadays too, I also feel like the excuse is so minimal. It's not, doesn't take that long. You know, you spin up a new Laravel instance to when you're kind of have something that does something is not a six month project anymore. Like you can get something out there in a couple months. It might be very basic. It might not be polished, but it's definitely possible to do. Um, and I think if you don't do that, the other thing I don't like is that to me, so much of the value comes from that interaction and that iteration. Like, you know, so you, the flip side of this is you build the fake thing and nobody wants it, but Maybe that's not true. Maybe your fake thing just didn't lay out the right feature set, didn't have the right take on it. Maybe the marketing was just a little bit off on your fake website. Like, there's a lot that goes in there. So, I also kind of don't love the idea of that lack of commitment. It's like, here, I'm going to throw this thing out here. If it doesn't pick up right away, then I'm going to drop it and move on to the next thing. Like, sometimes you have to stay in it for long enough to really understand the issue or to see how your marketing needs to be tweaked or how the product needs to be tweaked. And if you go into that with that mindset of just, well, I'm just going to crank this out and see if anybody will click on the stripe button, then you kind of miss out on that that iteration and that under, deeper understanding of what the market you're trying to sell into. So, I don't know. I think there's, to me, it's just a lot of... A lot of downsides to that technique in general, especially um, if you're if it's if you're not really being upfront and you're just seeing if people want to buy it. So, just wanted to take a minute to thank Hired for sponsoring Full Stack Radio. So, searching for a new job can feel stressful, scary, time-consuming. You know, you got pushy recruiters trying to sell you on roles that you don't want, or job boards that make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole, never to be seen again. And sometimes you go through the whole interview process only to find out at the very end that the salary offer or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. So Hired is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering, development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. The goal of Hired is to make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. So instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. So you just fill out one simple application, and then top employers apply to hire you. So over a four-week time frame, you'll receive personalized interview requests with upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about which opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Hired offers access to 
more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big companies like Facebook, as well as smaller emerging startups. And the size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. So right now, Hired can help you find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. And they keep all your information totally private, so there's no way that your current employer or past employer can see that you're looking for a new job. The best part about Hired is that it's completely free to you as the person who's looking to get hired. In fact, Hired will actually pay you a $1,000 hiring bonus if you take a job that was offered to you through Hired. And for Full Stack Radio listeners, they're actually doubling that offer to $2,000. So if you're a Full Stack Radio listener who's looking for a new opportunity, you can use Hired to look for a new job. And if you take one through Hired, you'll get $2,000. So if you're interested in more details about that, you can head over to www.hired.com slash radio to find out more. Thanks to Hired for sponsoring the podcast. Back to the show. Yeah, I mean, something else that I think would be interesting to get into is just like, what does marketing even mean? Like, what is the definition of marketing? Because I know a lot of developers will say like, oh, I hate marketing. Like, I don't want to do any marketing. Like, I know I have to do it, but, you know, I think it's sleazy or whatever. Uh, Because I think a lot of people think of marketing as being sort of synonymous with sales or with advertising and stuff like that. Um, But the more that I kind of look into it, the more I start to understand that marketing is actually a much kind of broader category of things. And I'd be interested in kind of just getting your take on what you think of marketing as being and if you think there are more genuine approaches to marketing than you know what people think of as like hard sell or advertising and stuff like that yeah no i think there's so much to that and it's something i still you know i still do most of the quote-unquote marketing in, in a lot of ways uh userscape and it's changed a lot. So like 13 years ago when we released HelpSpot, like the internet was smaller. There was less products in every category. Um, so it's changed a lot uh, as well, really. But yeah, I mean, marketing is so a lot of what you hear about will be things that's more traditional marketing oriented, whether it's advertising, just kind of a subset of marketing or it's, uh, yeah, obviously like brochures and websites and um, the, your Twitter account and all that stuff. But I think from especially probably for your audience of people who are going to be getting started or interested in our kind of early phase. Um, I think in the past you could rely a little bit more on uh, kind of the product. Um, well, let me put this different. I think going forward, you really have to think about marketing as one thing with the product. I think the product and the marketing are inseparable. I think that was always true, but I think now it's even more important, especially if you're small and you're bootstrapped and you're not going to be able to like throw money at podcast ads or Google AdWords or these things which are expensive and you know actually take quite a bit of time to get good at doing and all that stuff. So, um, like, how you know what are you going to build into your product? Not features, but even this sort of whole. Um, just how it works. Like, so the a super kind of common example would be Dropbox. Like Dropbox just inherently has this viralness to it where you have Dropbox and you send somebody a Dropbox link and then they see what Dropbox is. Or you might say, go set up Dropbox so that we can share our Dropbox together. Or then they've done some more marketing things on top of that. Like, hey, if you tell somebody about this, we'll also kick in uh, you know, some extra storage for you. So that gets into more like just traditional marketing of like, how can I incentivize you to talk about um, our product? But but still the core of it is that there's a reason to talk to somebody else to begin with, which is that you want to share a Dropbox with them uh, to work on a project or whatever. And 
that's just baked into it. So it wasn't just that you could have your own files up there, but that you could share your files. And now there's this viral nature to it where other people are going to find out about it. And so um, I think that's something that you really have to do, like think about a lot more up front is the thing you're building, like how are you going to get it to market? And then once you do, how do you um, keep the ball rolling without you doing that much? Because A, as a developer, you don't want to do that much, but also B, like it's just hard. Like you're not going to be able to outspend people um, and all those kind of things. So you need to have that baked in deep into the product of that, uh, how you do that. And that's a, that's a thing that's actually kind of a problem with our product um, with HelpSpot is it's like a very general purpose tool that a lot of companies use, but it doesn't have really a viral nature to it. There is a little bit of like, you know, there is a few spots where people might see that it's powered by HelpSpot and things like that, but there isn't the like obvious reason that you're going to share this, at least to the outside world. Um, there is more so internally, which is actually where we see a lot of growth is people within a, within an organization will say, oh, like organizing our emails a pain um, in the HR department. Hey, what are you guys in IT using? And they say, oh, we use HelpSpot. And then HelpSpot goes into the HR department because within an organization, there will be that um, reason to communicate. But they don't necessarily have the reason to then go out to their uh, peers and say, hey, we use HelpSpot. Like there's not that automatic thing there. Um, so... Yeah, I think like for things we do in the future, that's something I think a lot about is how do we bake into it that sense of uh, reason for sharing it either within the organization for sure and even outside the organization. Um, so if you're going to put thought into anything, I think that's a huge area that needs a lot of thought, especially in software is, is how you're going to do that. Um, and then, you know, I think that you do have to build up more like you like you've done so well is like building up that community. Uh, you know, being involved in a community, especially if you're selling to developers, that's practically a requirement, I'd say at this point, is that you're, you know, you're you're doing the talks at the conferences, you're building things that people find interesting, you're sharing your knowledge, you're building up a mail list, you're doing those things that are, uh, you know, that sound kind of easy, but then how many people actually do them? Not that many, or how many people stick with it and do it over two or three years to build up that credibility? So, you got to be persistent in all these things. I feel like, yeah, I mean, the hard thing for me with that has always been like, I always have this constant fear that as soon as I have something for sale, now all of a sudden every single tip that I share or every time I try and be helpful, you know, are people going to interpret that all of a sudden as meaning like, okay, well, is he actually doing this to be helpful or is he doing this because it might help him get a sale? Like maybe I'll buy one of his books or buy his video course or, you know, whatever. Do you have any tips on how you sort of like balance that or how you kind of make sure people still trust you and still believe that the stuff that you're doing is actually genuine and you're not just like trying to make a sale? Yeah, that's really hard too because you see that. I mean, I definitely feel like you've seen that a lot in the content end of things where like people have taken it too far and every single thing they do is micro organized to feed into their personal brand which feeds into uh, so everything feeds into your personal brand which is fine at a certain level but it's so optimized for getting you to buy the first element to the second element to the third element which and it's like such a fine line i don't even know how to describe it right because it's like on a certain sense that's exactly what you want to do and it's not really skeezy at all but then there is just like it can go to that next level of like uh like everything you do has this like tinge of it's three quarters of a solution but hey you know, make sure you buy my course for the final quarter, all that kind of stuff. Um, 
and I think it's so much harder with with this content um, products as well because they're almost always personal, like it's your face on it. And whereas, you know, people, if you're a software company, it's like their company and it's got that kind of generic element to it. So here's stuff, you know, other, you know, blog posts the company is producing and they're kind of focused on the company because that's what companies do. And it's fine. Um, that uh, socially we accept that. Um, whereas when you're selling your own knowledge, there is like a different angle to it. It's like Adam is, you know, posting this and is Adam just trying to get me to buy his course or is he actually trying to be helpful? And, uh, yeah, it's, that's like a tough, a tough line there. And I think like, I think it's just being authentic, you know, like trying to be authentic to me is a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's tricky. I think because like a lot of the things that you'll read or that you'll see, and you know, I'm even guilty of doing this stuff myself just because it's what's recommended as like what you should be doing is, you know, having little sign up forms on your blog posts or whatever right. that are like, if you want this extra piece of content or right. this extra downloadable thing right. or whatever, give me your email address and I'll send it to you. But like, if I was actually trying to be authentic and I was actually trying to be like a genuine person that just wanted to help you, why would I be forcing you to give me your email address right. to share this <laughs> stuff with you? You know? So it always comes across as like a little bit sleazy. Um, so I saw an example the other day that I thought was kind of interesting. I was signing up to hear more about this book that this guy, Alan Clement, was working on on jobs to be done. And the modal that comes up when you go to sign up for the book is like, I'm going to send you exactly two emails. I'm going to send you one to confirm your email address and another when the book is ready. And then as soon as I send you that email, I'm going to delete this mailing list. I'm like, your email will never receive another email from me ever again, you know? And I thought it was such a funny example because that's like the exact opposite of what everyone recommends or what everyone says you should be doing. But it actually made me like trust the guy because it made it seem authentic. It made it seem like, yes, he just wants to give me what he's promising. You know, I'm not <laughs> yeah, getting cool. any hidden surprises or right. anything like that. And it was like, you know, this is what I want to see as a consumer. So I don't know. I just thought that was kind of a, an interesting example because it's so counter to kind of what's commonly espoused as far as email marketing techniques go. I think it's unfortunate that like, so we've never been very strong in email marketing. I mean, we do have a few, you know, on the blog, you can sign up and get the newsletter and that kind of thing. Right. But it's never been a core sort of skill of ours. And it's something we're trying to get better at overall in different ways. Um, definitely try not to get too hopefully sleazy about it. Um, and you know, we went through a phase where, yeah, like pop up a thing that takes over the whole screen and like, I don't know. I mean, maybe we just couldn't make it work and I just definitely don't like it obviously as a consumer. So we got, you know, got rid of that stuff and everything, but, um, we do have a little thing in the corner. I feel like that's like the middle ground of like, Hey, like we're not going to like prevent you from reading this. We're not going to be in your way. Um, I guess the problem I it's un, really unfortunate I feel like is that RSS and that whole ecosystem went away because I feel like so much of this used to be solved like even when we started um, Userscape like I communicate with everybody just through the blog and people everybody read it I knew they all read it because they were all subscribed and so now you have this mixed the, the consumer is just mixed because they want email is kind of the way they get their news. Um, so, and they want to be contacted via email. At least, you know, some of them want you to email them every blog post and other people don't, but this is the one, like this is the hammer we have. So it ends up being this like weird spot of what do you do? And one of the things we like what we're doing anyway is trying to separate out a little bit to be where like, the newsletter is very newslettery, and you know what you're getting if you want the newsletter. 
and other stuff we're going to push like right into help spot in a very um, sort of non uh, not like intercom where it's in your face but in a very subtle way like things that are more for our customers will just get pushed into help spot and they can read it if they want to or they can ignore it if they don't want to um and just kind of make those audiences clear at least but uh yeah i don't know like i wish there was this other channel of like hey you just want to read our stuff like here it is and i mean we have an rss feed but you know not a lot of people are subscribed to it because it's not what people do especially for us we're not a pure tech like so it's not it's not just coders who can kind of presume most coders still maybe have an rss reader somewhere that they use but you know the general business buying public definitely does not so uh it's like yeah it stinks that there's not this sort of other method and like twitter and facebook and things don't replace it either because there's just such a such a huge amount of information coming at people. Like you can't just assume you're like two tweets about something you put together is going to get read by people because you know they get forty thousand a day in there or whatever, and it's it's gone. So then you get into that game of like, well, I'll tweet it four hundred times a day and that whole thing. And like, so you know, we played with that a little bit, but I was like, this is super annoying. So we got rid of that because it's like whatever. I'm going to repost this a thousand times. Like I'll repost it a couple times, but reposting it forever seems stupid too so i don't know i don't really have a good one with that i think in some ways kind of what we were talking about before like the idea of if it's really baked into your product that that alleviates some of it in terms of pure selling because the product can help sell itself and maybe you don't need to be so heavy on those things but there's definitely a group of people who you know want to be marketed to and so this is the tool we have that they want to be marketed to through their email. So like you're like in the tough spot with that, uh, as, as to what you do. Yeah. What do you think of, uh, email mini courses? It's something that I kind of see like recommended a lot as like a good approach, but I can't say that I've ever in my life felt compelled to sign up for an email mini course. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the thing I, we played with that also. And I feel like, uh, yeah, I don't like it on a few fronts. Like me personally, yeah, I've maybe signed up to like one or two ever that I was like, okay, I'm kind of interested in this. But then did I actually read all like six parts of it? No. Um, because I was like interested in it at that moment. And if they had just given it to me, I would have read it. But instead, it's like five days and I'm too busy. And so it just falls by the wayside. One of the downsides, I think, with it, you know, there's obvious downsides we get into, like obviously just grabbing people's email addresses and stuff like we talked about. But I think there's also the idea that some of that stuff is really good and could be um, really valuable, like SEO wise. And I think a lot of modern day, like startup y tech people, coders, have put SEO to the side as something that's not worth investing in. But I still think it's one of the best ways for a small shop to market because. You know, you're just reaching people exactly when they're searching for the thing you have. And if it's buried in an email course, like all this great stuff you put together, like nobody's ever going to find that, right? Now you got to get them to your site some other way. And so you get into that weird loop of trying to get them there on Twitter or Facebook ads or whatever. When if you just put together this really solid, you know, 4,000 word little mini course on a nice landing page on your site, like people are going to link to it, then it's going to get indexed, then somebody's going to search for that thing that you wrote this very in-depth thing about, and they're going to come to your site, and there you can have your cross-sells to your actual product, you know, whether it's a course or software or whatever it is, um, <clears throat> and bring them into your fold that way, without them ever having to, you know, be on an email list or you manage email and all that. You just get it out there on the Googles and and go that route. So. 
you know, you are then beholden to Google, which is a rough spot and has definitely hurt us in the past uh, where they make algorithm changes and then you pay for those. But overall, I mean, most of our new customers still come in through SEO just from searching on. There's literally like a handful of keywords that are everybody searches for and kind of help us space. And they search on those and they find us and that's how they get to help spot. So, uh, so even though it's like kind of been downplayed, I almost feel like it's an opportunity because nobody talks about SEO hardly anymore. And so there's, you know, in the big sectors, there's a lot of competition, but there's still edges and niches and things like that where I think there's, you know, probably some fertile ground. Yeah. So, so what even is SEO these days in 2016? Like I know back in the day, it used to always be about trying to get as many sites to link to you as possible and stuff. And there was all these sort of like little hacks and cheats to try and get yourself to the top of the search results, you know? So with Google's algorithm changes and stuff like you've been talking about trying to sort of eliminate some of that stuff, what is the strategy for search engine optimization these days? Yeah, I think it's actually beautiful fit with our whole discussion here because I think what Google is essentially attempting to do is not let those hacks work, right? Like not let other people cheat the system and just to try their goal is to provide the very best answer to whatever you type into that box. And so, you know, I think it's mostly about providing the best information you can. I think there's, you know, edges to that where like your stuff doesn't always have to be super fantastic. If you go out deeper onto like the long tail, if you will, of like people are searching for all kinds of random stuff. And, you know, if you have some articles and things that reach people with, you know, very specific questions, um, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. But yeah, it's mostly just about like doing some simple things like with the structure of your page just to make sure like Google understands it properly and all that. And they're so sophisticated now that, you know, you're pretty good there. Um, it's making sure you use the words that people use when they look for your type of product so that, that it matches that. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, the links and stuff I think are a lot less important or, or I don't know if they're really less important, but it's better to have like a few good ones from like really reputable places than a million of them. So like for a Laravel thing, like I'd much rather have a link from you or from Laravel news or those type of places um, that that one or two links from from the kind of community would be much more valuable than if I throw up a website, you know, laravelinfo.com and I have like some fake links that link back to me for some site nobody ever linked to or stuff like that. That doesn't really, you know, that doesn't work anymore. And as well, it shouldn't because it's obviously sleazy. Um, so I think, it, you know, it's still, again, being like part of community and when you do something interesting, people taking note and, and linking over to you is important, but, uh, so it's, they all work together, but you definitely don't need the, in the old days, it was just like, yeah, how many links can you get? Like just be on every forum, find a forum thread and link to your site and do it, you do it from everywhere. Do it in the footer of all this crappy junk articles across the internet at directories and stuff like that. And that would work. Um, but yeah, those days are definitely done with that. It's mostly just about having the good stuff and getting a few quality links and making sure your page is structured in a, in the way you, in the way any modern coder would structure it, you basically don't really have to think about it much, but, but just making sure it's like clean and structured. You want to be careful with like your, 
you know, you're gonna make your homepage like a single page app that's all JavaScripty. You might want to be careful with that. In theory, Google even does that. I I literally got bit by that this week. <laughs> yeah. So so like with the early access page that I put up for the course that I'm working on, because of the way it has to integrate with like Stripe checkout and stuff, um, I just wanted to have the whole page load at once. Because I, I hate when you have sites where like one button kind of shows up after the fact because it's waiting for some JavaScript stuff to kind of get put together and it shifts all the content on the page and stuff. So I just wanted everything to show up at the same time. So the easiest way was just to make the whole site like one like Vue.js component. So it would all load at once. But uh, yeah, I went and Googled for the site to kind of see what was showing up because, uh, you know, people have been linking it around and stuff. And of course it does show up in the search results, but it just shows the title of the page with literally no description underneath of it at all, <laughs> nothing. So that's something I definitely have to fix, but yeah. So I wouldn't really trust that things are quite where people say they are in terms of Google and stuff actually rendering JavaScript. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I would never trust that. So I think if you're interested in SEO, you should have a old school, let it render the HTML and maybe have some, you know, the JavaScript can enhance areas or whatever, but you want the content of the page like on the page, I think for the most part, if you, if you can, um, yeah, I think there is some stuff about how special things you could do to make sure it understands how to index it or whatever. But yeah, I, I wouldn't trust that for like the core of the page. I would, I would get that out there. So yeah. So a little thing, let's see, that's the thing. It's interesting. Like this, this knowledge, I mean, this was just like every single person knew this 10 years ago, like cold, like everybody knew it. And now it's just like, nobody really even thinks about it a lot. And it's like, we got all these other tools and we're just using them. And so there kind of is that opportunity, like what's old is new again, sort of there. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Rollbar. So here's what Paul, the founder of CircleCI, had to say about one of their favorite features of Rollbar and how it helps them keep things running at CircleCI. Before we used Rollbar, we used a different error tracking service, and we were shopping for a new one. And so we did the, the tour and looked at, at Rollbar and all of its competitors, and it was it was really the feature set of Rollbar that was super impressive and that made us go there. In particular, the people tracking, I think, is, is really... Uh, it's not just a great feature, but it also kind of speaks our language because we're very focused on making sure that customers are happy. We want to make sure that we have like an individual understanding of what happens to each customer. So the fact that we're able to click on this customer is experiencing a lot of bugs and to be able to follow the, the progression of bugs that they've been experiencing is very important. If we get an email from a customer and the customer says, you know, your your website keeps glitching on me and being able to to go to Rollbar and to say, okay, you know, this individual customer, this is how they're experiencing the site. Because otherwise you, you have to give like an overall state of things and overall things are looking good because if they weren't, we'd be dealing with it. So I've been using Rollbar a lot lately on my SaaS app, Nitpick CI and loving it. Uh, if you want to check it out, you can head over to rollbar.com slash fullstackradio and you can use their bootstrap plan for free for 90 days. So check that out. And uh, thanks again to Rollbar for sponsoring Fullstack Radio. I think like coming back to our earlier discussion about like what is uh, marketing and kind of what does it mean, something that's been really helpful for me that I've been thinking about more lately is to stop kind of thinking about marketing or advertising or whatever as just trying to you know, spread the word about whatever I'm doing to as many people as possible and shove it down as many people's throats as possible and sort of get in everyone's way, which I think is what people are sort of averse to, right? Right. But instead sort of trying to think about it as like, 
okay, I'm trying to build something that I think is actually good and actually valuable, which is why I'm actually working on it. You know, something that I think will actually help people in some meaningful way. And ideally there's a group of people out there who exist that are going to get some benefit from this, that this is actually going to be valuable to them. And it's going to be more valuable for them to have my product than it is for them to have the money that the product costs. Right. So what can I do to try and like connect with those people? Like how can I try and make sure those people know about what I'm working on and how can I find those people so that I can tell them more about what I'm doing, you know? And I, I don't know. I don't know if it's like a distinction that a lot of people think about too much, but for me, it's just been something that's made it a lot easier to think of, you know, sort of more genuine or non sleazy ways to sort of connect with the people that I have something to offer to. So I don't know. I just thought that was kind of like an interesting way to think about it. Yeah. I think that that's really important. Um, with any product you build is like to really think about who you're helping. Cause that's the really core of it. And it's so easy to get caught up with the tech or get caught up with, spreadsheet of how much money I can make, or if I make this much money, what's, you know, and you can get it down that whole path of estimating revenues and all that stuff. And some of that stuff's important, but, um, I think if you stay at the core, like what it is you're doing, that's helping somebody. And there's, you know, some of that sometimes is very direct, like in your course, like you're teaching somebody to be a better programmer. Like that's very direct. Sometimes it's less direct. Like you would say, well, help that software that, you know, it's just some business app, but, you know, I think that the way I always approach it is, hey, there's companies that are using it to like cure cancer. There's companies that are using it to like entertain people. And this is a, a tool that they use to support their ability to do the things that they they want to do. And so and that they're in turn helping people. And so it's like um, sometimes you're down in the nitty gritty of, you know, somebody needs a report bill. Uh, because their manager's yelling at them, which is, you know, that happens. But then the bigger picture is that, hey, like they're all, they're trying to do the right thing. You're trying to do the right thing to help them do what they do. And does your product in some way add some value there? And if it does, then, you know, it's probably going to have some legs to it uh, as long as you're not, you know, don't totally screw it up and it actually does what it needs to do. And I mean, there's a lot of caveats there, but um but yeah, I think having that in your mind is really important about because it does lead to who wants this. It does lead to why you're doing it. I think, you know, if you're successful in it, you know, five, six years into it, you know, why are you still doing it? Like these things start to crop up and it's like having that baseline of why you're doing it uh, is useful in giving you that stamina, I think, to to keep doing it and to keep wanting to make it better and all those kind of things. Yeah. One other topic that I'd like to try and squeeze in if we have some time, uh, something I've been thinking a lot about lately is I was trying to get this course ready. I was working on the landing page and I was kind of getting caught up thinking like, you know, what does this page need to do? And I sort of realized that, you know, if someone's visiting this page for the very first time and they don't know who I am or they've never heard about this course that I'm working on, that there's probably no chance that they're going to read this text and somehow be compelled to like buy my product. You know what I mean? For me, like I think, what I really need to do is focus on kind of educating people kind of beforehand and getting people excited about buying the course before they ever even see this landing page. But for you, you know, in your industry where you're saying that like SEO is really important and you get a lot of customers coming in through like organic search traffic and stuff, it sounds like, you know, trying to figure out what your landing pages need to do is like a lot trickier of a thing to kind of get right. So, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about how like, you know, an all text landing page like outperforms like a more traditional marketing style landing page or you should be trying to like address some pain point and then like 
empathize and tell these stories or, you know, sell some promise. Like what if you could solve like all your customer support problems in five minutes or less every day? Right. Or whatever? <laughs> um, so I just kind of be curious on like, you know, what sort of challenges do you guys face there? And what sort of thoughts do you have on, uh, you know, landing page design in an industry like yours where kind of direct traffic and people kind of hearing about you from your landing page, you know, is a lot more common than it is in kind of MySpace? Yeah. So it's super hard. So definitely the, the best way is absolutely like you said, like if people know you from other places, they're already coming here, they trust you, somebody they know referenced you and sent them to you. So they're already coming in with um, some good vibes about you to begin with, which is a huge, huge advantage. And for you know, for a company, you can get there uh, because, you know, that's just branding essentially, right? Like you've heard of Apple and when you go to somebody says, oh, that new Apple computer, you're already in like a pretty good mental space about what that means and what if it's going to be good or not. And so their their pages don't have to work as hard and can also um, sometimes focus more just on like the features of the product or whatever. Um, this is something that I haven't given a lot of thought to lately because, yeah, like when they come in from SEO – or anytime you're a smaller company, I mean, you know, obviously if you can build references, that's the that's always the best. And that is where we get a lot of business from is like the internal references like I was talking about or, you know, external references as well. Um, but yeah, if you get somebody just pure on SEO, they never heard of your company before, which is still, I'm sure, the majority for us. Uh, yeah, it's a lot more work. And this is something that I've been thinking a lot about in terms of like telling the story, you know, and. Uh, with HelpSpot, it's actually really hard because it's a tool that every company in the world could use in theory. Like, if, does your company, you know, get email customer support? Well, that's yes for everybody. So, it, like, we don't have. It's hard to create an angle there, and um, we could just say, hey, we specialize in higher ed. But at this point, like, we have customers in every vertical, so we don't really want to do that. And it's the same tool, so like. So we end up being more generic really than I'd like on HelpSpot.com currently just because I still haven't really figured out the like. Um, there is a bit of a story there in terms of you know your problems with email and all that. So that's part of it. Uh, but it is still more of a general thing. And also when they come in with the SEO on the plus side is somebody searching for help desk software. They know exactly what help desk software is and they know they're looking for it. And so you're also in a actually kind of a similar spot in that um, they don't know you, but they know what they're looking for. And so it does take the edge off slightly in that um, as long as we are kind of don't look fly by night and all those things, it's like, okay, like, do we actually do the things you need and, and all that stuff so we can get down into that. But, uh, but nonetheless, I do think there is something to this idea of like right baked into the product like what is the story your product is telling like what is the story your customer is telling themselves before they get to your product like why am i going to this tdd laravel website like and when i get there what am i thinking about as the consumer and then making sure that your marketing copy matches that um thought process because that you want to create that alignment there. So if I'm thinking about how, well, I only need code in kind of old, old school PHP and I want to be, you know, I want my code to be more reliable and all those kind of things, you know, then that's, that's the story. You want to be telling a story along those lines um, so that it matches their expectations. Um, and then, of course, your product has to actually do the, the thing that your story is telling. Um, 
but yeah, then you get into like things like long form. I know we tried a long form page. It was horrific abomination and didn't work at all. Um, some people do. I feel like it, mo- it works best in the content realm for sure. Uh, it seems like to me uh, anyway. Um, I think maybe because you do have more of that, like that's personal and there's kind of, it's a very usually like a lengthy story. So they're giving you the whole story and trying to get you farther and farther down the page. So you get to the like buy now button or whatever. Um, I think that's like a really certain kind of skill as a writer that I don't have for sure. But yeah, I don't know. I think that's definitely something you want to test and be ready to like pull the plug on really quick. (laughs) It seems like it's going the wrong way because uh, I don't know. I know a lot of people have tried it and not worked. I definitely know you know, a pretty good number of people who have them and it works okay. Um, I know some sites that use it and I feel like if they got rid of it, they'd actually do better, but they kind of have it and it's working. So they leave it. But yeah, I think that's, you really have to be careful with that, but it definitely does work for some folks, especially in like the courses and content and and those kind of things. Yeah. One thing that I've been trying to pay attention to actually is like, what do I kind of do when I go to these pages? Like, what do I read? What do I Mm. skip? You know, what do I pay attention to? Uh, So what I've been noticing is that if I go to a page for like a book or a course or whatever, the first thing I do is look for like the table of contents. Like I just want the facts. I just want to know like, what am I actually getting? Like what's actually here? What is in this thing? But what I don't pay attention to is all the copy about like, you know, you've stayed late at work for the last six weeks, six hours a night to try and solve all these horrible problems in your unmaintainable code base. Like I just don't care about any of that stuff. Like none of that stuff is is relevant to me at all. But the other thing that I noticed that did kind of work on me, which I thought was kind of an interesting approach and I'd like to get your input on is, have you seen that tool like Edgar, that like tweet automating thing? Yeah. So, so for them, like, you can't even go to their page and like buy the product. Yes. Like they don't even let you buy it. I, I'm very intrigued by this idea. Yeah. Like you have to go to the page and like request an invitation. Yeah. So I thought this was interesting because like I totally signed up for an invitation. Like I don't know if I need a tweet automating tool, but the idea of like request like exclusive access or whatever, you know, it sounds stupid, but like it's really easy for me to just like enter my email address so that I know should I decide to buy this thing down the road that, oh, I'm part of the elite few who has like the right. opportunity to even <laughs> buy this if I want to. Right? But the thing that kind of blew my mind even more is that ever since I did that, there's been so many times where I've almost friggin' signed up for this thing right, as a result right. of some emails that they've sent me because now that they have my email address, they've had the opportunity to sort of like educate me as much as they want on what the product does and what it's useful for. Whereas if I just like went to the page originally and decided not to opt in for a trial or whatever, then I would have just bounced out and probably never came back. So I don't know. I thought it was kind of interesting. So I'd be curious to kind of hear your take on it and what you think of it. Yeah, I really like it. If we, uh, we have some sketches for something we might do this year or 2017. Um, and I was definitely considering that as an approach. Uh, well, it's kind of interesting about it is right. They've been around for several years now. And so that's kind of a common thing when something just launching to have that. Um, but then they've left it. And I mean, I know they have like, I think it's like four or 5 million in revenues. So, you know, they're doing very well. Um, and I do think there is something to that idea. I think it like does depend a little bit on your market, of course. And, you know, is there another solution that they can easily jump to or is there not? And are people going to wait for it and all that? But uh, I do think it's kind of like, you know, it's one of the things that um, was even in my article, if it's done poorly, I think is negative. Is like you're creating some urgency there in a sense. You're like creating some exclusivity. Um, and, you know, they do 
you know, I think it's usually like the next day or whatever. I think when I signed up, I got a thing for the next day. Um, On their side, I kind of see, I think they're a little farther enough along now that they're just, it's more of just a marketing tool that's worked for them. But, you know, there is that advantage of like balancing out your inflow, especially with a SaaS app where like you could have an overwhelming number of people early, you know, because it doesn't take much to be overwhelmed. Um, Especially if you have like a free plan or whatever. Right. Stuff like that. Or, and even if it's just like, if it takes like processing or you're making a lot of connections to all these different services or whatever, like and you're on one server, like, so it gives you that opportunity to buffer the people coming in um, and to educate them, which I think is kind of interesting as well. So, I definitely am intrigued by that. I don't know which side. I think for me, it doesn't fall on the side of shady to me because I feel like, uh, if anything, they're in theory sort of hurting themselves. Like they're not tricking you into anything. They're they're buffering their inflow, and in that time they're buffering, you you might go to buffer.com or you might go to some other tool, right? And like be like, oh, you're gonna get that email the next day, and you're gonna be like, well, I already signed up for a thing because I needed a solution yesterday, and now it's the next day, and I'm not not gonna do it. So. Um, I think it's kind of intriguing and still on the right side of the line, but yeah, I mean, I think, and their page is pretty simple, uh, which I think is another nice element is like their, their site is simple. There's not like, you know, a 34 page tour or anything. There's just like the sign up, the kind of core proposition of that, like it reposts these things. So you don't have to in the middle of the night and that's it. And then you sign up and they kind of do more of the marketing after sign up um, in that way, which is definitely an interesting way to do it. And gets back to that whole idea of like people want to be marketed to through their email. So that's the like upside and the downside. It's like for people like us, maybe sometimes that's annoying. Although in this case, right, it kind of worked, it even worked for you. Right. But at, the time, at times it's annoying to us as geeks that like, we don't want to give, like, we're very protective of our email, whereas, like, the common person really isn't very protective of their email. So it's like this weird balance. But also, back to the other thing you said, I do think also, like, if you're selling something where you can use yourself, I think overall it's a pretty good strategy. Uh, it's not usually that, um, you know, unfortunately, most people that's not the case for it because if you're not selling to programmers, you're you, now you have to try to put yourself into the shoes of the average middle manager at a large ish company and figure out what they actually want, um, which I think if you haven't worked in that company, I think can be sometimes difficult to understand what they actually, like what they care about, um, and how they view value and decisions and things. Uh, so like getting kind of up to speed on that is, is probably a good idea. Um, but yeah, like I think stuff that, that works for you on yourself is an interesting thing to note and, uh, an interesting way to go about it. And again, you know, just what kind of business do you want to run too? Like there's obviously a lot of things that could be done that would make more money. Um, but you know, finding that right balance for yourself on if, uh, if it's worth doing certain things or not, you know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, is there anything else that you maybe wanted to touch on before we start wrapping things up kind of on this, I guess, real general topic we've been going on about <laughs> yeah. like, you know, different marketing tactics and kind of what's genuine or what's sneaky or what's good or what's bad or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I mean, we, I mean, there's tons of sneaky stuff we could talk about, but uh, yeah, no, I would say just try to stay clear of the really sneaky stuff. Like there's the follow-up post I did um, that you mentioned, like was a company where like they say, put in your web, your website and we'll analyze it. And like, you can just put anything in there. Like you put Bob in there and it pretends to analyze it. And, you know, there's a huge site that has like hundreds of thousands of um, people who've signed up and 
So, you know, it's unfortunate that that sleaziness is there, but it's like, I feel like uh, we have to be, um, take care of our little corner of the internet here as much as we can and not, not go too deep into that for the uh, almighty dollar. And that, in the long run, uh, it kind of pays off to be on the up and up because then like the other opportunities show up from that, especially if you're trying to be involved in the community, you know, go to conferences or write books or just be featured in different places. And if you start to get that, you know, negative connotation around you, um, it's hard. And I think especially if you're not in marketing, like a lot of these sites are people who are kind of known for their marketing. And so I don't know if people just give them a pass or whatever, but I don't know, especially in the tech community, I think that's not as much true. So I think you got to guard your, uh, your kind of uh, personal brand there carefully and not not get caught up with the wrong crowd. But no, I think uh, your launch is great. I'm so excited to. I've already I've gone through the first the first item in the TDD uh, course. <laughs> awesome. And I, I let me tell you, I've already learned something, and it's fantastic. So like, I think you're onto something really awesome there with this idea of like. I mean, I always get caught up with this whenever I hack on something new. Is to like just to be able to work back from the core as being like such a valuable aspect of TDD to be able to start with like, you know, so in my case, right, it'd be like <clears throat> start with the code that creates a help desk ticket. Like that's that could be where you start instead of login forms and the 38 things you actually need to like actually, you know, 48 fields that have to be done to do all that. Like, like just even that is a very interesting idea, um, which is probably common knowledge to everybody else out there. But for me, I've always started as like, we'll start the login and like proceed, yeah. you know, on a line through till you can actually do something, which is months <laughs> later uh, and work backwards from that, which is really cool. Yeah, I think it is an interesting topic. Like it is TDD related a little bit, but I think it also just came out of. You know, I've always worked at like agencies, like building stuff for clients. So it was always really important to be able to kind of demonstrate progress towards like the actual business value of whatever it was that we were building for them, like as early as possible. Because mm-hmm. if you start like a new engagement with like a new client and you spend like the first two weeks like building out address validation, right. you know, <laughs> that really sucks compared to being able to like show them something that's like actually going to help their business right away and then like kind of filling in the stuff around that after the fact. So that's, yeah. in- that's interesting. That's an interesting point yeah and the consulting end we don't we don't do much consulting so that's uh i've never done i, I did some consulting way back but i was horrible i was charging like 300 dollars for like whole applications <laughs> <laughs> bad, bad time in my career but uh but yeah that's a that's a great point yeah you like to see that progress early on yeah cool all right well uh, maybe that's a good place to start kind of wrapping things up uh, thanks again for coming on the show for the second time it's been a pleasure chatting with you about this stuff yeah well thanks a lot for having me on i appreciate it and definitely uh keep up the good work here <laughs> thanks cool well uh if anyone is interested in show notes for this episode they'll be at fullstackradio.com slash 55 thanks to hired and Rollbar for sponsoring the podcast and if you can rate and review the show on itunes that's always helpful thanks everyone see you next time